Hello everybody. Uh, today is Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. And uh, doing our first, let's call it a hard live uh, Twitch slash LinkedIn slash, well, in any case, it's live uh, show. And so this would be, I guess, show number one, which is kind of fun. Um, I had a lot of coffee this morning, but honestly, I think it's just because show number one, I can feel it a little bit. So I got a little butterflies and all that. So that's always kind of fun. And uh, we have an interesting guest uh, today. So just wanted to, first of all, take a moment to introduce him. Hopefully I'll pronounce his name correctly. Uh, I learned how to spell it this week. So it's uh, Ben Costantini. And uh, Ben's a really interesting guy. I met Ben, um, uh, he worked with us on B2B Rocks this summer. He helped put together, uh, I think it was the World Cup of Pitch or the, I can't remember what our final name was in the end. Um, and we said so we had a huge pitch competition. It was really interesting to see all these young companies and their great ideas. Um, and then um, he also worked as MC, which is really interesting because I worked as an MC and it was the first time I had ever done that. And um, it's always great when you have somebody mentor you and you can never you know, you can never get enough mentorship, no matter what career you decide to pursue. So anyhow, with that, uh, without too much more ado, let me bring in Ben. Let me see. This is the first time I've actually um, brought in a guest. Or not the second time I brought in a guest. Let's see, see if this works. It actually did. It worked better than the first time. The first time I had that kind of there. So, so Ben, just so you know, you're, you're live. Can you hear us okay? Yeah. Hi, Steve. Hi. Nice to meet you. So, um... So Ben is, is kind of a serial entrepreneur. I don't want to steal too much of his thunder, but he's a serial entrepreneur. He's done a lot of different stuff. Uh, and I, I guess we met uh, when you were helping us with B2B Rocks, and you also helped us doing the emceeing. So just out of curiosity, how did you get your start doing emceeing? Because you, you had a lot of advice for me, which was really useful. And, and where did you get your start there? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think officially the first time I did an emceeing, uh, gig was at Le Web 2014, um, where I was uh, hosting uh, one of the stages during the two days of the conference, uh, and that was like a big, uh, like a big first. Meaning that from never doing this and doing it live in front of 500 people or something like that during two days with a lot of pressure, um, that was a first. I think probably have done like smaller things before, like moderating. Or interviewing uh, speakers, but emceeing, which is a different uh, type of work, I think it was the first time. Yeah, and um, did anything go wrong your first time? Did did, did <laughs> you, does anything stand out? Any because I, I didn't have the problem you had, you know, last uh, last June uh, with the the wind blowing half of your stage, and you had to risk it on everything. Uh, that no, that wasn't uh, my case. Um, what I probably, you know, someone being late or, you know, a speaker canceling last minute for whatever reason, and maybe you have to accommodate uh, changes. That's kind of the type of thing that I would probably have faced. Um, but that's, yeah, nothing wrong back then. I don't think, I don't remember anything like crazy. I do have another anecdote. If you, move, you fast forward to 2019, and we're hosting our annual community gathering in Spain and Valencia called Sesame Summit. And there uh, I'm emceeing one day and like the full day. 
and uh, in the afternoon, uh, like we were getting to the end, it was like probably like a couple of hours left of content. And in the afternoon, suddenly the power goes out, like, you know, no more electricity. So that was a first because suddenly, like if you had, you know, problem with slides or a clicker, that's one thing. If you have someone late, you have to feel, you know, that's another thing. But here, if you don't have electricity, basically you cannot do anything at a conference. Right? Like yeah. You can, there's no microphone, there's nothing working. Uh, but you cannot really just leave the room empty like that. You know, you have an audience there. So suddenly we we had to improvise something. I had one of my colleagues, Suzanne, joining me on stage. And I remember there's a photo of us like screaming like this, you know, so that people can, or shouting out, you know, so that people can hear us. But then we got the power back in like probably like 10 or 15 minutes. So we just played it again and that was it. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I think I think that um, that thing about live is and, and that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about this show and this format is it's, it's authentic. Uh, you want something once said can't be taken back. So and, and you know, you have little bloopers, bad things happen. Uh, technology has glitches and and what have you. Um, the thing Ben was referencing, the, the, the first day of our event, B2B Rocks, we had three stages. One of the tents blew down off the stage. Everyone scattered from the stage, like 150 people took off from the stage. And you're like, wow, if this is how our day is going to start, this is going to be a challenging day. I remember going to see our CEO and he's like, yeah, uh, keep calm. Uh, you know, things will work out. And we just changed the format slightly and kept going. And and I think, um, interestingly enough, I think this format is an offshoot of that because I really enjoy doing the live stuff. I really enjoy de doing the what we're doing today, the conversations about stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit different stuff. We talked about emceeing. Um, you're kind of a serial founder. You've founded several companies. Um, if Is that correct? Yeah, I, I don't know if I would call myself a serial entrepreneur because for me it sounds like you've been successfully, you know, funding different businesses and sort of cash out or sold them or something like that. But I'm definitely uh, someone who prefers to run a business uh, rather than being an employee at a company. And that's something I've been doing since I was 23, which is the first time I actually uh, created a business. So, so that's for sure. Um, and Back then, 20, what, I'm, what I'm talking about when I was 23, I was still a student and on the side, I was you know, starting to do some freelance work and I, I thought, okay, let's incorporate a company because maybe I need to hire more people to do the work. Um, and that was very small. That was, I was living in Spain, so it's like never meant to be a big thing. Um, but that was the first time I actually tried entrepreneurship. But did you, did, I mean, were you, did you, were you, did you ever have any fears or that was just like a natural step for you as evolutionary or was there any yeah. like revolutionary thought in your head? Like, no, no, did no. You, no, 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 I, I'm still like, I'm still, I hope that right now what we're doing uh, might be the step that is more revolutionary if, I, if you want to use these words uh, or it's coming next after this, right? Uh, but uh, back then, it was just uh, an, sort of uh, an opportunity or natural, you know, thinking. I guess that from my family background, the fact that I had uh, some of my, uh, like I had been exposed to people doing sales, running their own business, that gave me a more confidence to go there and do it. Um, and but it was never. I don't. I don't think I ever had fear. Uh, around uh, doing a business and at the same time it wasn't because I had that sort of you know crazy revolutionary idea that would change the world but just like 
oh, there's business to do. Uh, how do I do it? Uh, freelancing is not enough. Uh, okay, let's incorporate. Yeah. Just this is a this is kind of a segue, but you know it's interesting your take on like I'm not a serial entrepreneur. I'm I'm not sure I would call myself that because I haven't you know cashed out and sold out. And um, I'm American, and we have this horrible game we play in the United States called baseball, which very few foreigners can understand. But the but there's something there's some philosophical aspects to baseball, which is when you try and hit the ball. The most successful all, all time that people who try and hit the ball hit four times out of ten. That means we say he failed six times out of ten. A really good baseball player hits the ball three times out of ten. That means he fails seven times out of ten. So, and I'm not sure starting a company and having it not pop is even considered failure either. I guess if if you want to be a multimillionaire, it is, or a multi-billionaire, which is real money today. But I just I'd still say you're for me in my book. You're still um, a serial yeah, on, serial yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, and you're right. Like I, I, maybe you know that's also something you mentioned uh, the culture in the U.S. around entrepreneurship and things have changed here in, uh, in Europe or at least in France. But it's true that there is a, a different uh, thinking or mindset around what it means to be an entrepreneur, to be successful, to fail, etc. Yeah, we can dive in, you know, a bit more on this topic if you want, you know, down the road. But that's uh, definitely something that we have learned and say we collectively in France, for example, um, in the startup ecosystem, there there is an evolution of the mindset. Yeah, um, you would see more and more young people who reply to those surveys saying that they would consider uh, running their own business. And that's a big change from the mindset of the French people, but also like generally speaking, Western Europe, you know, where the choice, number one choice will be to, to, to be an employee or to be, uh, to work for, for the state, to be a functionaire, as we say yeah. here. So, so that's changing. Yeah. I wonder, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting the educational system because the people who are in the educational system in most cases are functionaries. And, and I wonder, um, the effects of that on the, on the, on the business culture. I think I see, I believe French business culture, I believe European business culture. I know French culture better, but I believe it is changing. Um, but change is hard. I think personal level on a societal level at a, at a, at a in a company, it's not easy as well. So that's understood. Um, you know, so prepping for this to have you on board. So I went and signed up for, uh, kind of your new, your new concept, Sizamers. Yeah. Did I how do you, did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you can pronounce it this way. We tend to say sesame, you know, like so sesamers, but yeah. uh, whatever works for you. I okay. know the name is a bit random, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, like okay, um, yeah, it makes me think of like. So um, how was it? Like, how much time did it take you to to create your profile? How how was it? Tell me it was, you know, easy and fast. Or and, and intuitive, right? Painful, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so I went and signed up. I created my profile. All that seemed pretty straightforward. And then um, basically uh, I'm going to SAS talk next week. Yeah. I think you're going to be there, right? Are yeah, you going? Right. I'm, I'm not sure yet. I'm okay. doing less trees than I used to. But tell okay. me. What's okay. Well, it'd just be good if you go there that I, I make you buy me a beer. Um, okay. So, that, so uh, signed up for it and then just saw other people who were going to be at that event. Yeah. Um, and then I think using the keywords like the meta tags I associated with me, it kind of associated me with those same people. And then I think if, if I understood correctly, I could kind of like those people. And if they're up, if they want to meet with me, they can respond in kind if I understood correctly. 
and we can set yeah, up. Well, so. Yeah, that, that's kind of the starting point. So the product right now is pretty pretty simple. It's actually an MVP where it's working, but it's not uh, fully covering the, like the, the full you know vision here. Basically, you can find people who are going or are sharing the same event interest as you do, um, and that allows you to connect with them in advance or afterwards. So you can create a chat, like a LinkedIn or chat type of thing. It's not very straightforward. And you can also, but not with everybody, because not everybody has uh, fully uh, set up their profile, but you can also connect your calendar. And we have roughly like 20% of the users who have done it. And if they do, if, they, if, it's, if it is connected, then you can uh, request a meeting the way you would do it with Calendly, meaning that the meeting is already in the schedule of the other side. Of course, the other person can accept or refuse, but you are offering a meeting directly in the calendar of the other person. And uh, that's, that's it. That's what it does, okay? But what is important here and what it, what it matters is that we build this as a, an answer to what we've seen with early stage founders struggling to uh, build their network uh, from scratch. Um, and events are very powerful. Maybe yeah. the number one uh, place where you can start building a network if you don't really have one or nurture your existing network or expand it, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're an early stage founder, you don't really have that network yet, uh, you go to an event, right? And that's how you start it. But it's super hard to just get two or three you know, relevant meetings uh, with people you know, during that event or schedule you know, ahead of the event. So that's kind of where we, we say, okay, let's try to fix that, you know, specific problem so that founders, investors can, you know, see each other ahead of an event, have a talk, have a meeting. If they want to meet in person during the event, they can do that as well. They can use the solution provided by the event as well. But we are adding a layer of potential serendipity to these, you know, people who don't have yet a good network. Yeah. 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 Uh... I think this that goes back to something that I see in technology, which is, you know, technology increasingly like I'm a marketer and increasingly we're using data in marketing. So, yeah, you have, you have to understand the data. And and we're in an industry that is. Yeah, I think in many ways it's never been easier to start a company in our industry because so much, so much of the technology is already out of the box. You can buy pieces, chunks of the technology already ready made. But at the same time, um, our industry is still a very human industry. It comes back to contacts. It comes back to relationships. You have to build and nurture those relationships. You have to start them off. Um, and uh, and thank goodness, because that, that, that human element is important. Um, and the same thing, it goes back to starting a company. I think it's never been easier, but I think also customers have never been as demanding. We really want like, it, it takes more than ever to get someone's confidence when they look at your webpage and go, oh yeah, this looks like a company I might want to work with. And so that's that's part of the challenge there too. Well, how long have you so been? Just give me so a quick one, you know, uh, about that particular topic. Uh, one of the reasons why networking is important uh, for Kind of anyone but it's particular for entrepreneurs is to is because it's very hard to be top of mind of anybody mm -hmm. like that's kind of one of the underlying you know uh success for like re reason for success or factors of success um and it's like we i could you know we could talk the entire show about okay well, how does networking work at events how it is in europe how it is in north america how it is in asia there's a lot of content already out there around how do you network uh, in general, in particular during events. 
actually there are i'm gonna do like a quick pitch here myself you go to youtube search my name you'll find a series of video that we did already like back in 2019 i think where i'm like giving short you know like two or three minutes uh, bits of knowledge around how do you do this stuff at events like how do you manage net uh, business cards you know how do you um you know how do you run the floor to contact with, to connect with startups during an event like very practical stuff i'm trying to say like here and that's just i know it's a big segue but that's one of the things that i i think i learned down the road i didn't know at the beginning and it's um it's about like this top of mind thing it's like how do i make sure that you think of me the next time you have a show like this you know and i'm top of mind right um, the best way to do that is to, you know, be exposed to you regularly. There's different ways of doing it. Of course, I can do that by creating content. For example, if I'm, you know, a marketer and I'm, I want to be top of mind, well, I put content out there. And then, you know, as a customer, I would remember the brand because I've seen their content and it's like more top of mind than another one that's not doing it. Coming back to relationship building, if I see you even just once a year, you will be, you know, higher on my memory, right? On my, this top of mind, you know, rankings of a thing uh, than if I see you every three years. And if you multiply this touch point, then chances are next time I have an opportunity or a business opportunity or a job offer, like stuff like that, and that don't get exposed, you know, online. You cannot get that, you know, just by going to a Google and searching for it. This type of, you know, knowledge or opportunity um, sharing, I'll think of you. And if, see, if I see you every three months, which is what I would, you know, experience pre-COVID with events from our community, meeting those people so regularly, not only you're creating a bond, but you also are top of mind for them. And I'm top of mind for, you know, they are top of mind for me. So I hope it was straightforward. It's a long segue, but being top of mind is very, very hard to achieve. And going to events and networking is one of the factors that gives you this type of, you know, outcome. Well, you know, we talk about a picture being worth um, a thousand words, but also like when, when you share a moment with someone, like if, if you're with someone and they say something and you're like, oh, that was a remarkably insightful thing that they said or something like that, or you have the opportunity to speak in front of them and you, you know, let's say you pitch someone on some idea that you're working on and they appreciate that idea, you've made a connection. Uh, and, and that human connection, that's that's priceless. And I always tell people that I work with on communication and marketing, I'm like, there's logic and then there's emotion. I, and I said, logic is is what we do. It's how we do it. But emotion is why we do it. Um, and so you got to like you get you won't get in bed with a partner that you don't feel confident with or that you don't like. You know, and what I mean by I mean by a business partner, get in bed, Ben, <laughs> just, just, just so, so you know. Um, so, but you know, you, it, that's an, that's a really American expression. Get in bed. I don't know where that comes from, but there's no sexual connotation there. Everybody, just I'm not harassing Ben. Um, so, but you, but you really have to like people, uh, and I think more and more, even employees, it's the same thing. Like you know, we get employees. That's why we want them to meet the whole team to see if they're able to connect, if there's an emotional connection there, because that's going to be linked to loyalty and performance and all these other aspects, which are so important. Um, where did you get the idea for Sizemers? When did, when did you come up with it? How, how, where did the idea come from? So the idea per se is not that original. Uh, you know, like uh, when, I, when I talk to founders and whenever there's a founder who tells you or me 
that their ID is kind of you know super unique and you ask them what you are your competitors. Typical in a question you ask during a pitch, they'll tell you, well, none, right? Like, okay, <laughs> BS out, right? Like you yeah. haven't done your market research or you don't really know your industry that well. In our case, there was already a wave of you know products that uh, emerged like 10 years plus ago yeah. in the category of social events. Um, and it was back in the days where Facebook API was a lot more accessible. So you would have platforms that will help you in the business world um, see who among your network and your network network is going to be at a certain event, right? Um, so you have like companies like Plancast and Lanyard and, you know, those businesses were acquired or, you know, don't exist anymore, but that already existed. So the entire concepts of, you know, social events is nothing, you know, innovative per se. Um, nowadays, there is a, a new series of companies that emerged um, in the B2C space. So again, you, you're going to a, a music festival, you want to go with your friends or make new friends from your existing circle of friends, friends, right? <laughs> uh, you can use RL.com to do that, and that will help you kind of have a better experience. You know, it's this sort of social element of a, of a B2C event. In the B2B space right now, there's nothing really to, to do that. Um, you could think that, you know, LinkedIn could do it. It's kind of the natural, you know, player to, to build something like that. Uh, but they are not really. And the event category within LinkedIn is still pretty much in its infancy. Um, there are, you know, several businesses in the US that are targeting something similar, but a lot more driven around sales for enterprise. So covering trade shows, um, like a different type of events than the one that we currently work with that are more like for startups and investors. So basically what I'm trying to tell you is that the idea is not that crazy uh, revolutionary at all. It is that the timing is interesting because of the post-COVID time, there's two factors that you want to take into account. One, that people were, you know, into like lockdown and they had to, they were forced in uh, online virtual events um, and they didn't really have a good experience around network building, meaning that online events were uh, very good in the form of, you know, democratization of access to content and thought leadership. But when it comes to networking, impossible to compare with like an in-person experience. Uh, that's what everybody will tell you after, you know, those two years of, uh, of lockdown here in Europe. And the second factor, there's a positive one, is that a lot of, lot of people are a lot more open to um, online meetings. Like just, you know, generally speaking, the category of, you know, uh, doing a meeting with someone virtually expanded you know, dramatically. You can see that on Zoom, we're doing, you know, this yeah. on, on Twitch, Google Meet, like, you know, this, like all these, you know, players. So now suddenly having a meeting with someone online is a lot more accessible, meaning that people who are not really using those type of software are now using it. So those two factors, you come them together and say, okay, what if we could build something that is super straightforward that allows a founder in two clicks to request a meeting with someone relevant ahead of an event that they're going to be attending both of them? If we do that well, they're going to get you know a, uh, an experience that is far better just out of two or three meetings than without it. Like it's like one of those things where it's like a multiplying effect. You know, like you, if I've been able to interact with some people ahead of a conference I'm attending. And I know that my experience there is going to be better, for sure, because I would have again on top of mind of those people. I, you know, I maybe I remove some uncertainty around what I'm going to be doing there, 
I, you know, save the icebreaker time for whatever, you know, meeting I'm going to do with them in person. Or if it wasn't really relevant, I don't need to do that meeting anymore in person. I can use that time, you know, that I'm going to spend here RL to do something else. Again, that's that was the idea. So we built something, a first iteration of this back in, uh, like at the end of 2019, so pre-COVID, then COVID hit. So we stopped that. We had to ditch almost everything that we were building. Um, it was more like a CRM type of solution, what we were doing back then for companies that are attending uh, many events as part of their uh, marketing or sales. Um, and then we went back to the drawing board uh, kind of a year ago, interviewed uh, a lot of founders. So we did like around 50 uh, interviews with from pre-seed to series A founders to understand what was missing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we built. Oh, so you, you went and really did your marketing research and, 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 and interesting. Um, yeah, I was just, I'm thinking about it. Like as we go forward and build our community and seek to do this, uh, uh, I wonder, I got, we got to build a Twitch integration. We got to figure out the Twitch API and, uh, and, uh, I don't know. Um, we'll have you, to... can I ask you a question? Sure. Yourself. Like, yeah. Um, when you use the word community, because I, I, I wrote a piece about that, uh, um, again, a year and a half ago, something like that. So like when we were already past the first uh, wave of COVID, suddenly everybody, you know, started to talk about community within the event industry. So the word was already there. It's not a new thing, but suddenly like event organizers were supposed to be community builders. Uh, it was like a big thing. Yeah. Um, and I wrote about that because I don't really trust this to be to be accurate like, I, I think that's I think that's different jobs, two different you know missions events organizers the real ones like the pro ones not supposed to be community builders hmm. so what is it that you call community well that's a really good question because I, I think it's funny as you said that I was thinking about like there's this concept in business greenwashing where yeah. you where you where you 100%. do and, and I think I think what you're talking about is community washing a little bit when you when you have an idea and so that's that's a really fair question and and uh we're gonna to have to cut the show short. No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no hard questions here. No, it's interesting. I guess. I guess. Um, I don't know. I can't. I can't speak for everybody. I know. Wait, you can. You, that, let me. Oh, uh, hold on. Hold on. No, no, let me. Let me just give a stab at it. I think one. Uh, I've always worked for a higher mission. Um, so the the thing that professionally, which makes me mo most passionate, is to see uh, my team, see my colleagues. And by extension of that, see my community succeed. Um, and then our, our sector of interest, which is the SaaS and technology, I, you know, I grew up around this stuff in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley. And I guess what I think is the most exciting aspect of this, as this, the tendrils of this spread out from Silicon Valley to Europe to Asia to the, the four corners of the globe, um, is that these people are future leaders and that I want to see them empowered to lead locally. And so in the end, I kind of like it's it's like a holy mission for me. Um, now, I just like to point out I'm a, I'm, you know, probably don't sleep properly and, and uh, have other issues and, uh, and all sorts of stuff. But uh, to me, it's like a holy mission. I'd love to see uh, these ideas spread out, maybe even into Russia right now. Russia could use some of these ideas even. Oops, we shouldn't supposed to talk politics. But um but uh, I just think it would be great to have empowered uh, people uh, everywhere uh, that feel that they can really act. I mean, even even one of the problems I see, like um, people when they look at their democracies right now, is that they feel like they can't have an impact 
or the world, they feel like they can't have an impact. Um, and whatever mechanism, whether it's sports or, or whatever have you, I think people should feel like they should be able to have an impact. So in that sense, I'd say we have a mission to, I've always tried to encapsulate a mission to help our community. So I guess I, I use that language in support of that, but, but it's a really fair question. And it, and it's true because there are, uh, some conflicts of interest. And, uh, so that's, that's a really fair thing to, to ask. So, but what were you going to say? What were you going to say? I was yeah. telling you that, uh, you know, uh, in most businesses, and uh, I mean, what you just said is uh, is inspiring. Again, like I'm not, I, I understand where it comes from, and that it's actually what you know motivates you to yeah. do what you're doing and what we're doing right now. Right? Uh, it's to share some knowledge, inspire some people. Uh, you know, yeah. like, do this for the community. Right? There's no money involved in what we're doing right now. Um, I was telling you, like, if I help you, uh, the answer right now, I guess, for your businesses, for most businesses. It's like uh, it's like a database, you know. Like yeah. your community is basically a list of emails mm -hmm. with maybe more information about the people behind those emails, but it is, it is like this is it. This, yeah, this, this is what it is for most people around a common interest. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm reading it right now from this article that I, you know, I was mentioning that I wrote uh, in 2020. Uh, the definition of a community is a social, religious occupational or other groups sharing common characteristics or interests and perceived or perceiving itself as distinct in some respect from the larger society which within within which it exists yeah so that's the definition right that's that is this yeah we're we're special and we're a subset we're not like you um so <laughs> it sounds uh, it could almost be directly uh, from the bible um yeah, it's uh, very religious uh, in that uh, yeah, um, that's one of the few words from French that made it directly into English and we actually use it. Hey, just a quick question here. Um, this has been, um, I am getting fascinated uh, just because it's changed. How we work has changed uh, so much. You know, you were talking about we do more online events. Uh, we do more webinars. We're more likely to take meetings. Can you just talk about what is your personal stack? of software you use. What are the softwares uh, like? Are there any SaaSes you use on a daily basis? Yeah, of course. Uh, many of them. Uh, I'm actually the one in the company that tend to to test the software first. I guess that a lot of small businesses like us, the CEO is the one kind of trying stuff before, you know, bringing them to, to the company stack. Um, we so the first one, and it's uh, maybe one of the most interesting to discuss in detail, is our CRM. Mm -hmm. um, we've been using uh, HubSpot for several years, thanks to a heavy discount that they are offering to startups or communities. Um, after we managed to keep that, you know, uh, partnership with them for several years, uh, we realized that we we couldn't continue using it because it would be too expensive. Mm -hmm. I think oh, I'm describing like the the life the journey of anyone who's been using HubSpot. So the way they do it is very clever. Is that basically the first year if you run you know you join HubSpot for startups, is that you're gonna get like 95% discount uh, yeah. on their on their price, and they will you know give you kind of a bundle of you know like they will give you the bundle the sort of all in uh, services that they have. So like the marketing one, the sales one. Uh, even the website one, the ticket one, like everything, right? Like even if you don't need it, right? It will be kind of included. 
and we and basically the, the as time passes by even if we were managing to renew this special deal we were expanding the use of hotspot with or without our intention like it was just getting you know they were just including more and more features in the package yeah we were happy to pay a little bit more every year because we were definitely taking advantage of software it's a great suite of software like yeah i have nothing against hotspot um and but then when we couldn't continue this we would basically have to pay three thousand euros a month yeah that was it that's like hey next year you know like you're and, paying 300 and and uh, of course, they have really smart product marketing and product pricing people that also put in a thing for the number of contacts. Yeah. So, so you pay for functionality, but you also have the number of contacts. And, and I've used, like, I've done a startup thing and used HubSpot. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's, it's like the cocaine model. They give you a free, <laughs> they give you a free yeah. year supply and then you're hooked. Okay, yeah. so keep going. Uh, I'm sorry. So, so that so the renewal of our HubSpot, you know, partnership was one of those stressful moments at the beginning of the year, you know, where I was like, let's see if we manage to renew the deal. Um, and so COVID happened, so we they were kind with us, so we managed to keep that, you know, kind of another uh, year. Um, and uh, then early 2022, we moved away. We didn't manage to renew any special offer. So we moved to another one. So we've been benchmarking CRM like everybody does, looking at the websites, you know, that do this type of comparison like yours as well. Uh, and we fold, uh, we ended up using one that I'm laughing because I found it's like one of those underdog, you know, not, it's not very well known, but it does, it does the job and it's called Engage Bay, you know? So Engage Bay. You, yeah, it's, uh, the company is out of India. They, they are quite big, you know, they have a, that all you need basically. Okay. Uh, it's just not as uh, intuitive. It's not as easy maybe as HubSpot, but it does the core of what we needed, which was to manage, you know, list, big list, um, and to track, you know, the sales activity directly from Gmail. So there's like the templates and all that story, you know, the typical stuff. And that that was the that was it. So now we're using it for both, you know, the sales activity and the marketing activity. We we're probably using like. 10 or 15 percent of what the software does mm -hmm. but the pricing is extremely competitive because we pay like 50 bucks per seat yeah yeah that that you know that that pricing on hubspot after the first year they i think it's 90 percent discount the first year then it's like 70 or 50 yeah. the second mm -hmm. year and then like the third year you're at like 20 percent and that's when your manager usually comes and sees you and he's like oh this is really expensive this <laughs> is like you know 1500 a month for this thing and, yeah. and you're and, but on the other hand it's you know it does so much no, uh but the problem we had you know sorry if i cut yeah, you here but no. one of the reasons why is that we we were not in a position to really integrate everything we were doing uh on hotspot yeah. meaning that we are using other software uh, coming to the initial question yeah uh, to do the other functions of the business like for example um we run several newsletters um and we never, I mean, it didn't make sense to do them on HubSpot. HubSpot wouldn't have the features that a pure email management system, you know, would, you know, offer. And we started a new one uh, using uh, Mellolite, which is like a, a European-based uh, company. Very good pricing, very, you know, competitive. And, uh, and we moved our old newsletter that we were hosting on SendGrid. Uh, same story, we're using SendGrid that is supposed to be for transactional emails, meaning the one that you send to your users. 
uh, we're using it for uh, marketing emails right because we had like a plan with them from many years ago that was almost free etc cetera, etc cetera. like you can see i'm like, <laughs> I like free stuff <laughs> you like free stuff <laughs> Uh, but uh, we started a new one on MetaLite. Uh, kind of loved it, you know, the interface, so easy to use. Uh, and we moved our old legacy newsletter to this. So again, like I have, you know, like or purely on the newsletter side, we are managing around like 30,000 contacts. Yeah. Uh, so if I do that on HubSpot, you know, it's, it's too expensive. It's too expensive, it yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm... I end up, you know, splitting with different services but it works, you know, it's like at the end for a company of our size, it's not worth the, 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 the monetary value is not worth it. Like if I'm, I guess if I would be maybe slightly bigger, maybe if I'm a lot bigger, this is when I really want to have this sort of purely integrated, you know, offering and where marketing will complain about the fact that we don't have the website on HubSpot, right? Because they wouldn't see the same amount of data and information about our customers than if they if it is you know. so you see a lot of companies that are using hubspot as well for their for their website um and make sense like from you know i understand like uh if yeah. you want to have everything in one place do it with them yeah 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 there's um there's a I, I i didn't i find a lot of stuff that they do really intuitive but their web development is not one of them um but, uh, you know, a great product, great product. And I think the thing is, is when you look at like the videos of how people are using it on the Internet, is that very quickly you under and their academy, you realize you can learn to use this very quickly. Yeah. But 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 also that takes money and, and they, they make people pay for it and, and the right to do it. Um, but that's the great thing about our industry is that there will be other up and comers and someone will will try and knock them off their place and they will or they won't succeed. Or maybe HubSpot will just buy them. Who knows? Um, what about any any other softwares you're using a lot? Uh, yeah, big... uh, we of course we're using Slack, we're using Notion, uh, we're using the entire G Suite. Um, these are like the the daily stuff that we use. Okay, the foundation. I just think of yeah. it like like pillars. Um, out of curiosity, since you seem to have good ideas, I was looking at social media marketing tools, like automation tools to manage your posts. Yeah. Do you guys yeah. have anything like that? Yeah, we've been using, uh, um, what is it, uh, Hootsuite, yeah. So I had a Hootsuite plan many years ago that was free, yeah. and mm, I kind of, plan. and I abandoned it. Uh, now, now, now you have to take like, uh, now, it's kind of, it's super, I mean, it's not a, again, it's yeah. expensive, but relatively to what, right? Like it's always the same question. Yeah, you do gain productivity, but but it's always, it's always kind of like, ah, oh, it's still money. Um, yeah. And so, also, like one of the challenges, it's like one of the clever thing in their pricing is that it depends, you know, how many platforms you you're posting to, and some of them are not fully integrated. So, like at the end of the day, if you want to mention people properly on LinkedIn, uh, maybe you know some of like Hootsuite might not be you know the most efficient one uh, versus another competitor, right? Right. So it's kind of one of the the issue here is that we have. Uh, so we have two brands that we manage on social, so Sizamers and the startup Sizami. And so like two LinkedIn, two Facebook, two yeah. you know, Twitters, like all that story. So your pricing so, is like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So, but at the same time, that's exactly the question. If I would ask, you know, people in our team who are doing it, it's actually the question. When there was this moment of peak of work, you're like, oh, that can be, you know, tricky. Should we go and pay for, you know, uh, Hootsuite, you know? Yeah. It's always like that. It's like... 
oh, next month we're going to have that, you know, happening. There's maybe a bunch of events where we, we know we're going to be doing a lot of social media coverage. Should we that? Shouldn't we just pay those 60 bucks, you know, for that month? Yeah. Like, this is that what we're talking about right now. We're talking about like something that is 60 euros. Like it's not like 600 yeah. euros. Yeah. Yeah. Well, money, money, yeah. money is money. So uh, interesting. Um, uh, what was I going to talk about? You know, interestingly enough, uh, have you you're you're in Paris, right? Yeah. Have you noticed any change in tech or or, or business atmosphere in Paris? Because uh, of course, in the U.S., you know, all these VCs were talking about the companies need to focus more on sustainable growth as opposed to growth at all costs and things like that. Have you noticed any? I, I mean, I think a lot of people pay this lip service, but I think the VCs are driven, motivated by greed uh, eventually. <laughs> and, and they have a lot of dry powder. Eventually, they're going to want to invest yeah. that money. So have you noticed any real shift or, or is that something you're up to speed on or have an interest in? Or Yes, yeah, so well, from what I hear you know, from others, uh, the situation here is kind of a it's it's a mix. It's not like so straightforward. It's not a. You know, black or white, it's pretty gray, meaning that there is definitely a, um, a reduction of the amount of investment that is being made. There is, a, of course, a diminution of valuation, but that's like an, another topic because valuation pre like last year valuation were insanely high and not accurate at all. So so this is happening. But at the same time, and that's I'm referring to, I think, numbers that were published like uh, this week, you know, um, it seems like France is one of the countries in Europe where the situation is better than in others. I'm talking really about like the VC investment in startups and so on. Yeah. Like you see the numbers from the UK, from Germany, from kind of all Western Europe, all, all everything you know, crashing. Like yeah. the crash is happening here as well, but it's a lot less apparently than uh, other markets. And also one of the things that I was mentioning, we were discussing with uh, some friends who are operating like other European capital, it's I know that the, the economy is not in a good, you know, like there is like uh, either we're already in a recession or we're about to be in one. But at the same time, that's what is kind of counterintuitive, again, particularly here in France or in Paris. Um, there's 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 work like the the unemployment level in France has never has never been that low for like 15 years. You know? Yeah, the same th the same same thing in the US, by the way. And yeah. and that's yeah. So you're you're right on. You're spot on. Yeah. And that's because the injection of money that we got here, you know, like I, you know, I know it's not something that uh, I don't know. I guess it's not something sustainable. But at the end of the day, the situation right now, like this, you know, like you, people struggling to find you know, talent in tech. That's, yeah. that's what's going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what will, how it will unfold. Um, but yeah, the main risk that I can see, and especially here in France uh, right now this week is linked to external factors and in particular the conflict in Ukraine and the, the shortage of gas, you know, and oil and all that. That's so the problem we have in France right now is oil shortage. Uh, and I've seen this commented in the US is because of a strike of the workers of the biggest oil, you know, manufacturer in France who are expecting a salary rise of 10% because they've seen that their company for which they work as employees has made huge benefits out of the raising price of oil. And they're okay. like, okay, well, give us a rise as well. Yeah, can we have a little bit? Uh, yeah, that, so that's why there is this problem right now here. It's very different from maybe other countries. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I think a lot of the the stuff that we see is going on is geopolitical, and and in the U.S. Yeah. in the U.S. right now, we've, we've kind of caught like mixed signals. There's some red signals, there's some yellow signals, there's some green signals, like the employment market. But actually, uh, interest rates, which the Fed controls, they really want to see all red signals. And once they see that the employment market is slowing down and unemployment is picking up, then they'll start lowering interest rates again. But they're not going to lower interest rates until employment falls off. And that, and so, and of course, Europe is probably going to follow the U.S., so that'll be part of that. But it, it'll be interesting. I think there's also a flight to quality. I remember, uh, I'm old enough to remember the dot bomb thing. And the lesson there was, is like, hey, invest in serious companies. Yeah. And I think this is a, you know, we're not anything near we didn't lose the value we lost in the dot-com area era or anything close to that but i think the lesson here is that vcs are like you know getting more serious even more demanding about like the questions like okay who's on your board who makes up your company uh, what's the business model again how are you going to grow and really doing their homework and so there's going to be a flight to quality um, but I also think I think that companies are going to, you know, VCs and other people are going to spend more to, more money to get in on scale ups as well on quality scale ups. So all these things, there's good parts, there's bad parts. And, and I think uh, I think we're just kind of back to a leveling out. But I don't I don't see anything changing to fundamentally change. I mean, I always go back to the analogy if you're cutting wheat. Right. And it's like if you could go back because you didn't have to buy all the tech tools today and go back to cutting wheat with a scythe and doing it manually. Would you do that? No. You know, the reason why is bread is at a near historically cheap price is because we all have all this technology and all this stuff and all this specialization. And that's kind of the whole value proposition of tech in a, in a lot of way, which it helps us do things better or faster or more efficiently or, or something like that. So, so there is one thing here that I, I don't I don't think we really can cover that, you know, and I'm not the expert to, to talk about that. But uh, there is the biggest factor that will really, really uh, make this, you know, change. Like what you're saying, I agree with you. Like it's like, yeah, it will like you, the, the tech industry survived, you know, the bubble, they, they will survive this one. Um, but the bigger question is around the, you know, is around climate change and around the challenges that we're facing as a society on the sustainability side of things. And I think if we leave the same summer or, you know, maybe it's going to be even worse next year to the one that we lived in 2022, uh, at least here in Western Europe, then people will start to really sort of get it and, and start changing some of their consumption patterns and so on and so on. So if I was like, I'm, what I'm trying to say here because we're talking about SaaS and really, I don't want to be like, again, I'm not an yeah. expert. Yeah. The show is not supposed to be like, oh, this is going to be the end of the world. Uh, but if I was <laughs> but... a SaaS founder whose you know, revenue uh, relies on the, you know, on the, on the type of employment that people have currently in cities and that you, for example, you already had a problem with the first lockdown because some people, you know, left the city. There was a lot of remote work happening. Da, da, da. If that didn't create an opportunity for you, what's coming up next will crush you. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, you know, the one thing is that, that this industry has shown a willingness, unlike any other industry, to change and evolve. Uh, and I mean, I, I, it reminds me, our industry reminds me a little bit of like an Earl Burrow which is a Celtic symbol. It's the serpent that's eating its own tail because we see these companies get start up and then they get 
you know, bought out and then a new one comes to replace them. And then that company succeeds and eats the other one. Um, I was talking about Adobe bought uh, Figma at 20 billion. And now Canva, I was reading, is talking about doing a word processor to take on Microsoft Word and Google Sheets. And I'm like, okay, if you think you can take on Google and Microsoft Canva, you know, you guys are worth over 20 billion. So, uh, and you did that in just a couple of years. So why not? But, uh, but so it's just that, that the only constant in our industry is change. So I think you're right on about those things. It's also interesting to see there's a lot of stuff going on with tech where we're partnering around ecology and sustainability and circular economy. And we can only hope that that continues. And uh, we'll try and get some people on here to speak about impact. Listen, I want to move to um, some segues because unfortunately there's so much to talk about. And you're such an interesting guy. Um, you started. So you went back. I looked, went and looked at this. One thing I want to touch on was your education. Yeah. So you have a couple degrees in business. Oh, but before great. that, I, I studied social science and anthropology. Yeah. Has, has that has that helped you in your work? Yeah, of course. How, uh, how that isn't that's a little counterintuitive. How how has that helped you in your work, having studied sociology and anthropology? Um, so I you know I know that uh, social science in general is not really like the the place where. You would find entrepreneurs you know like i know it's like an area of uh, study where you would end up either working as a as a professor or you know your teacher and so on um and there's like a lot not not a lot of job you know opportunities after you you do a phd in anthropology type of thing um but the truth is that uh, there is a lot of hiring happening in tech nowadays right i'm not talking like uh, when back in my days when i was studying and I wasn't studying this to work in tech, uh, but right now there's a lot of hiring, um, a lot of hires done in tech companies from that type of talent. Meaning that if you're studying, uh, if you're a trained anthropologist or sociologist or economist, then when I talk about economists, I'm really talking about the social science field because I know that so economist is also math and so on, but there's a lot of people who are studying economy that are doing it in the social science field. Uh, you you can get hired at, at Amazon right right now. Like yeah. I think Amazon is employing like 400 economists currently, and yeah. they're employing them for critical thinking, for social studies type of knowledge, not yeah. for the math. You know, not because they can do like uh, a PNL. You know, that's yeah. uh, that's not the reason why they are hiring them. Um, so so I would say that it's you know it's an obvious thing for me to say this way, but basically the fact that you bring to the table. A perspective around what it means to live together, to have certain form of norms, um, how you regulate uh, business, economy, society, and so on, is of added value. Because down the road, like I would expect that, uh, for me at least, on my own experience, um, my capacity to interact with different cultures, like we build a business from day one that was very that was meant to be uh, at least European, if not more. But we, we, the capacity to interact with different cultures, to have a certain, um, you know, like to try and adopt, not be like, for example, we, we tend to think that French people are very arrogant and so on. Well, that is something that hopefully by learning from others, cultures and so on, you don't bring to the table. Like you're more educated, yeah. you have a more sort of a distance, uh, you, your self-awareness is higher. 
So all of these, I think, are very good qualities uh, when you're doing a business, basically. And I'm not saying you cannot get them, you know, from an MBA. I'm just saying that uh, there's other ways to to get these type of uh, skills that are so valuable in the business world. I hope uh, that answers your question. I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. That, that's fine. I guess I just wrote in our chat. I just wrote in the chat. Read, read, read anything and everything. And, and I mean, I studied English literature, so it was kind of a trick question that got me to talk about myself. So I studied English literature. And when I first started working in technology, people are like, what can you do? And I'm like, well, I can read, I can write, I can organize my thoughts. Um, and so, so those were the things in the beginning. And, um, uh, and it's helped me so much throughout my career. And I, I never went and studied technology, but I became a technical engineer on the sales side and then went into sales and, and marketing. And, and so it didn't hold me back. Um, and I think w how it helped me is I thought differently than my peers. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you, you know, you don't want to fall into groupthink. And I think, you know, w when we think differently, we look at things differently we, we, and we bring different problem solving skills to a thing. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about like business strategy and you quote Sun Tzu, uh, you know, an ancient Chinese general, it, it sounds somewhat more authoritative. So that's <laughs> that's just that's just why I asked you that. Um, no, I agree Agreed, and also like one thing that I want I could mention that's similar to what you just uh, expressed is that I spend most of my time uh, as the CEO of a company. I don't know if it's a good thing, you know, like if my my uh, my shareholders listen to it, like what? I spend <laughs> most of my time uh, like writing and talking. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, and, you know, and even if you you think about it, I know I'm not a developer. I don't have that skill set, but developer will also kind of be considered as a writer down the road. So. Like you, you spend your time writing and talking yeah. and uh, if that is what you're going to be doing to run a company, that's at the end of the day, that's what you spend most of your time doing, then uh, you will have a lot more to write and talk about if you expose yourself to, uh, you know, other, other type of knowledge and business knowledge. Yeah. And of course, I love like the MFM podcast, which is the one, you know, the Max First Million podcast by... Uh, Sam Parr and Sean Pori. So I, I like business content. Yeah. Uh, content, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't like it. I'm but just saying. don't limit yourself to More. that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know if you know the famous Steve Jobs story, but he uh, while he was starting Apple, he was taking uh, or maybe it was the Macintosh when they were building the Macintosh. He was taking a calligraphy class. And so he got really passionate yeah. about mm -hmm. fonts. And so that's why uh, Macintosh had so many iconic fonts and, and they did such a great job. Um, so I still, I, I should, I have an old Mac still and I showed my kids that and they're like, really you used computers like that? I'm like, man, that thing was revolutionary. And they're like, uh-huh, sure. Um, so what do you, so we called you or I called you, you defended it, but I called you a serial entrepreneur. One of your first companies I think was actually a record label. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, it's kind of at the same time I created two two activities under the same company yeah. uh, and I said you know that I explained earlier that the the activity was pretty much opportunistic I was like I had work that I was doing as a freelancer and I was like oh maybe I, I should you know incorporate so I can hire people to help me do that work right and the work we were doing was mostly uh, related to um, 
field research in the economic and social science space. So I had clients that were basically research centers or labs from the university who were conducting surveys about uh, agriculture, economy, stuff like that. Like, don't ask me, it's not another life, but basically I would hire more people to do these surveys. Right? Okay. And we're on the ground sending people to do interviews with farmers. Okay. That's the type of thing we're doing. Okay. And at the very same time, I was playing with a, uh, with a, a band, like I was, you know, singing in a band and uh, we wanted to release our, like the EP that we had recorded. The record label was telling us, like not record label, no. The studio where we had recorded that, you know, a short album told us the price to print some copies because back then, I'm talking about 2004, we were still doing CDs, right? Um, and uh, I was like, wait, so for that amount of money, I can register a record label yeah. with my own company, like yeah. the, register the brand, right? Uh, sign up for the the, the authorization to be um, a record producer, book the work to a printing company myself, and that will cost us the same amount of money. But in the process, I would have created a record label. Yeah, and I, that's what I did. Like uh, that's that's so that's what I'm trying to say is that it was inside the same, uh, you know company but it was two different activities and the record label continued to to work for six years uh and we had like a very particular uh, quite a particular approach because we were supporting free download of music we there was a big movement back then uh around alternative copyright so using creative common licenses to publish work online and make it available for remix and so on and so by doing this we got a lot of like interest from uh, from independent artists to release their music with us and throughout this time of those six years we released more than uh, 50 different artists uh, with the brand and yeah. then uh, yeah that's that's another life that, that's really cool um it's funny because there's some industries that are like that it's the thing same thing i have some experience in the book publishing industry and like for the amount of money it costs you to publish a book with somebody and get somebody to print your book, you're better off just starting starting your own publishing label, because um, yeah. it, it just doesn't make any sense. So uh, and then of course you have other opportunities as well. Um, but that was just a segue into a question, which is our name is B to B Rocks. So uh, is there any music that gets you pumped up? Any music you really like to listen to? Any rock songs or or it could even be rap, but any any kind of music you like that really brings out your good energy and gets you in a good <laughs> good flow. And a good energy, a good flow. That's a, I that's that wasn't the question I prepared. You know, yeah. Like I was, you know, thinking about your question of your favorite, you know, rock song, and I I think when the, when the event back in June, I mentioned a song from uh, At the Drive-In, which is kind of a post, you know, alt, I don't even want to call that, but it's like post-punk or alt-rock type of band from the US. And um, that was one of my favorite, you know, from the 2000s, you know, type of, uh, of artist. But if you are asking me what pumps me, what gives me a good vibe, a good mood, I should, you know, just check out, you know, my Spotify playlist because that will, you know, give me the answer. I listen to a lot of like, just, you know, how do you call that? Uh, background, you know, sort of lo-fi music when yeah. I'm working. I do a lot of that. I also do a lot of like chill beats, you know, type of things. Um, yeah, anything too intense and it, and it distracts me from my work. So I, I get same, your point. Same. Yeah. But you know, I, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you one that, uh, you know, my friends you know, at the office, you know, find this funny. Um, 
I remember when Rosalia, you know, went out for the first time, so back in 2019 or something, started to listening to this and sharing it with some of my colleagues at work. And it was our first sort of popular album. I think, you know, right now, like her last song is called um, Despecha. And you can see it on a lot of TikToks, you know, people are using it as a background. That's the type of music that will, you know, kind of give me good mood, good mood and good vibes. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to have to, we're going to have to start a B2B rock Spotify list and uh, maybe we'll put that up on our first song. Uh, I don't know if this one will qualify as a rock. Uh, piece, nah, but, it's okay. Uh, we, we can fudge, we can fudge the edges. We, we, we started, we own the brand. We, we do as we, we like, uh, I guess not exactly own. Um, okay. Listen, I really appreciate your time today. Um, was there anything you want to talk about that I didn't ask? Were there anything, ideas that popped up or anything you, you would have had me ask you as far as a question? No, no, it's, uh, it's very nice. Thank you for having me. You're doing a good job. Um, I hope, you know, this is the start of an amazing adventure on Twitch. Yeah, me too. You know, I think um, Twitch, we, so we, we have our community has been growing quite rapidly, but it's still small. Um, we have a big B2B Rocks website on our, our community on our website. There goes that term community again. We'll see if we can get them over here. Uh, I've made the promise to my team that if we can get to 2,000 um, users over the next 12 months, uh, that I will have a fuchsia mohawk. <laughs> uh, and so, so I'll have, a, which would probably add to my Twitch channel if I was, if, as far as rocking a fuchsia mo mohawk. So we'll do that. And um, I, and this is, I mean, you are victim. I mean, uh, invitee number one. Um, and, and it, this is really just a conversation about, you know, just trying to, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, just trying to share some of the things we've learned. What about, you know, and that's maybe the question I'd end with. What is the big, like, what's your big takeaway? Like you and I were both old enough to have a few gray hairs. What's your big takeaway? If, what have you learned about yourself over this? And, and what have you learned about business? I mean, do you have any, like, uh, big philosophical thing or something like, uh, you know, I always read these things like 10 million to ARR. This is not our first hire. I don't want to go anything like that. That's a little too, uh, I think that's a kind of clickbait, but is there any like takeaways from business or there are any advice you would give to young entrepreneurs or, or pe young people out there thinking about starting their own SaaS or something like that? Oh, uh, you know, it will come back to, to the, the specialty that we have in that we are experts of events. Uh, that's the stuff we, we work with. I talked already a bit about what it means to network and why it's so critical for, for anyone in business and why events are a major factor of success from our point of view. Um, and so I would say, like if I say it as, a, as something insightful, I hope, uh, I would say that it is, you know, the place for you as a founder, like you're an early stage founder, you're starting with an idea. Think from day one how you can use this uh, this platform, these events, to your best advantage. Go to uh, the meetup, you know, in your areas to connect with other founders. Doing this at the same stage as you, as you're starting with the idea. Learn this, you know, from the beginning, because this is, you know, where you're gonna learn your know, skills that you can use in all the different stages of your development of your company. And one of the things that we've seen with the program that we used to run, so we were running what we call an event acceleration program. So we were picking pre-seed seed companies and get them to six, seven events a year uh, from our community. And some of the founders we 
done that brilliantly because they were good at it. You know, they were good at presenting, at networking. They, they raised more money faster. And that's a fact, you know, like if you're doing it properly, if you know how to do it, if you are excited about doing it, events are a factor, you know, of course, like it's, it has an impact on your valuation that is positive. And we know it because we interviewed founders, we know that it is real. And it's one of the things that, you know, it's, it can be counterintuitive because while you're going to an event, you're not building your product, you're not, you know, uh, yeah. it looks like you're not working, you know. Uh, and that's, that can be true. There's also, I know a lot of people who are stagnating, you know, they're not really building a business because they go on the conference circuit, you know, just to be on their, like to have fun and drink. So, so I'm not saying that it's an easy and obvious one, but uh, we, we know that it's proven that it's like all uh, right positive. So it's not a, it's not a cause for success, but it's a correlation to success. If yes. you're going and doing these things and you're capitalizing, it's interesting because, um, even when I talk to young people, I haven't had that experience with founders or entrepreneurs, but I talk with young people looking to get work and I'm like, go volunteer, go yeah. se seek out people working in the industry you wanna work and just tell them you wanna talk to them. You're not even looking for a job, just saying you're curious and ask them what skills you should be building. Um, just show interest. And so, uh, and, and I don't think, uh, uh, you know, with my, my resume, I've never gotten a job by sending my resume to anybody. It's always been by relationships I've started and networking. Um, and even when I talk to people, like a lot of times uh, I talk with my French colleagues about going to the university in the United States, uh, the benefits and the disadvantages of that. And they're like, well, it's so expensive. And I'm like, yeah, but then how much is a network from Harvard worth? How much is a network from Stanford worth? Uh, if you graduate from Stanford or UC Berkeley you, you, in your class, uh, you, sometimes uh, I had a friend that went to UC Berkeley and they started a startup at the end of his time there and, and he's now a gazillionaire. So um, again. So, you know, it's like if, if I, you know, if I try to say it in a short sentence, it will be that um, you, you can make serendipity work for you. Well, that's kind of the idea behind this entire concept. And it's not about like the magic of, you know, oh, you bump into someone into the queue at the coffee at a conference. It's a bit more complex than that. You can, yeah. but one point to say that you can build that, you know, there's an architecture that you can make, you know, you can create so that this serendipity works for you. Okay. That's, that's great. And uh, I, um, I'm going to Sestock, or, uh, and so hopefully you'll choose to go there. Are you going to any other events this year? What's the next event you're going to? I mean, uh, it's, so one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not sure about what are my plans is because there is another event here in Paris uh, that we work with. It's a client event. It's a big uh, B2B food trade show mm -hmm. uh, called Cial. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it's like food professionals, new food, you know, new stuff, uh, and it's a client we work with. After that, I'm going to Valencia for the digital summit. So it's on the 25th and 26th of October. Um, also an event that we work with as a, as a partner. Um, it's going to be very nice. You should come over. And uh, I'm skipping Web Summit. Uh, no, no, no Web Summit for me this year. I'm going to Slush, which is two weeks after in Helsinki, 15th, 16th or 16th, 17th of November. Yeah, I've heard great things about Slush. I'd like to go check that out. Um, okay, well, listen, uh, good. And um, 
we'll, we'll try and get the, our uh, we'll get our BTV Rocks uh, Spotify list going and, and put your song up there. Maybe we'll have a song from each guest. Thank you so much for your time. And um, well, you know, Thank you, Steve. we'll try and check in on you in six months and see how far along the the pro- the, the MVP is going. Say how you're doing, okay? Sounds great. Thank you so much, and uh, good luck with the other shows. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Well, everybody, uh, so that was our first show with a guest, an external guest, and a lot of fun. Uh, really interesting talk to Ben, just a really interesting guy. Um, if you uh, are interested in learning more about networking, how to leverage your networks better, I suggest you try and get in touch with him. Um, his uh, website, I think I have it up here. His website is... Um, Sizamers. Uh, and so this gives you an idea of what they do here. Um, and so you can kind of look at people's profile here. Uh, and if you're interested, uh, try and set up a, a time to meet with them. Uh, but I think this concept of serendipity at events, I think serendipity is kind of a bad word here. I think, you know, the truth is, is if, if you want to go on a date, you need to ask people out on a date. And so if you want to meet investors, you have to go to where places where uh, investors congregate um, and meet lots of them. And, you know, you're going to fail. Um, you're going to talk to a thousand investors. You're going to fail thousands of times, but it only takes once. Uh, you only have to be successful with a couple of investors. You only have to get believe them. And each time you talk to one of these people, um, an investor, uh, typically, um, let's see here, we have Ben up here. Or Orange Ventures. So we'll look at Remy. Every time you talk with one of these guys or ladies, um, they're going to give you important feedback. Um, they're going to tell you, you're going to learn something about what you thought or, or what have you. And um, those are learning opportunities. Um, you're going to improve how you pitch. You're going to improve how you communicate with people. Uh, you're going to important, improve how you listen to people, which is very important. Uh, it's good to speak. It's good to pitch. It's better to listen. Um, so I really suggest taking a moment to um, to go check out what uh, Ben, uh, it's Ben Costantini. I'm going to write his name up here. Um, go watch some of his videos up on YouTube. Ben is a pretty prolific writer and content creator. Um, so go take a look up on some of the stuff he's done about, about how to leverage these events. And if you have a moment, sign up for Sazamers. I guess it's kind of early, earliest stage. It isn't all fleshed out. I would take an, uh, an, a thing with, uh, with uh, Remy, but it's maybe not a good time because I don't have an idea or a business company or, or things started. But anyhow, do check that out. Um, that's all for today's show. I think we're going to we'll cut it there. We next Thursday. So that's Thursday the 13th. We're going to have Alex Delive on the show. Alex is a founder. He's a CEO of a company called Collect. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of what Collect does, why it's important. Uh, we're going to ask uh, we're going to ask uh, Alex about his personal stack, what he's using. 
um, the rock song that gets him going in the day. I, personally, I like rap music early in the morning to get pumped up, jump around and do kung fu when I when I listen to it. Um, so we'll talk to Alex Delive. He's also the guy who originally founded B2B Rocks as a brand. Um, and so we'll talk to him a little bit about the brand and, and what's happening. So hopefully you'll come in and check in with us uh, on Thursday of this week. And then next week, ah, next week, um, next week I'll be in Dublin, Ireland. Um, so I'm going to SAS talk there. Uh, I'll be a speaker talking about what... Uh, yeah, someone just asked me, asked me rap music in the morning. Absolutely. And 90s U.S. rap music like, you know, like Snoop Dogg and, and, and Doc. And uh, yeah, that's what, but that's who I am. You know, I'm an older guy. So that's that 90s rap music. That's my, my, my heyday. Um, so we'll be at Sastock and we're going to do our best to get our technical act together and be able to live um, basically Twitch and live um, LinkedIn feed from Sastock and try and talk to people at Sastock and ask them why they're there, what they're doing, uh, what they think of the event and, and things like that. So please come check in on Thursday and then come in on next week on, on Tuesday uh and should be a little chaotic but a lot of fun as well and uh hopefully we'll have a good time and i guess with that we'll move to our our end screen it's so sad b2b rocks is, is now over for this time listen thank you very much and you guys have a great day bye bye see you soon especially